like to uh, welcome you to our lunch today. Um, I know you're all busy catching up with each other as our speakers are coming up. Um, just wanted to give you a quick preview of what's coming for the next couple months um, and let you know what the uh, topics are. On May 21st, which is the third Thursday in May, we'll be talking about technology and its impact on corporate real estate. Um, at that meeting, we've got a great lineup of speakers, um, including um, Bluebeam, Yelp, Motorola, and Gensler. So please uh, set that time aside. And in June, we have on June 11th, uh, a gentleman flying in from New York with Delos, who is the company who really put together the well-building standards for um, and he will be speaking on, on those standards and what that means to people wellness within inside our uh, buildings. So um, please mark that day. Um, I was looking to see, um, we're not up yet, but I wanted to let you know this is an interactive uh, Q&A session. So if you have not already taken out your phones and typed in Cornet, dot cnf dot io i encourage you to do so you will have the opportunity to ask our panel questions during the lunch today as they talk go through the various topics uh, so please go ahead and uh, enter those questions as we go along and just a reminder that if you like a question that's already there please go ahead and uh, tap on that one and it will shoot it up towards the top just a reminder about that um, the other reminder is uh, if you want to go back and uh, remember what you heard today, uh, this is recorded and uh, the podcast will be available on our website in a few days. So I just wanted to let you, I'll remind you about that. Um, with that, I'd like to, our uh, panel's up here, um, and really would like to introduce our moderator, um, Michael Cornicelli, I have known for almost 30 years, um, and I absolutely love chatting with him. He is fascinating because what he does affects virtually everybody in this room, um, and seldom do we get a chance to get his insights so, um, and kind of understanding of his world. Um, Michael's going to be moderating the team. Um, and we've got Ron and Steve and Mike. I will let him introduce them once I hand over the mic. But uh, Mike, Mike, that's way too many mics. Um, but let me tell you just a little bit more about Michael. Michael actually came out of, uh, he's an attorney by trade. He's worked with uh, inside corporate real estate firms as well as real estate firms themselves, such as J&B and Zell. Uh, he's then started his own legal firm and then followed that with his own consulting firm, working with charter schools, um, helping them with their trade programs. So uh, he's got a great history and has spent the last 14 years as executive VP of BOMA Chicago. So with uh, no more ado, I'd really like you to give a great hand and welcome Mike and the rest of the board. And I'll let him tell you a little bit more about Cor our, uh, Cornette. Please tell about Cornette, too. Okay. Boma, Chicago. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jerry. So uh, is, 
I have known Jerry for a long time. We were very young when we met. Uh, I'm Michael Cornicelli, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. Uh, we had a particularly enjoyable uh, dinner last night with uh, some of your, your officers and colleagues, and I want to thank you all for that as well. Um, as Jerry said, I'm the Executive VP and the Chief Staff Officer for BOMA Chicago. Uh, we're very pleased to have this opportunity to talk with you. Um, some of you know who we are. I think a lot of you do, perhaps. There's some overlap in our membership, but BOMA Chicago is a trade association uh, representing the supply side of the commercial real estate industry here. Uh, our members include over 260 commercial, governmental, and institutional buildings in Chicago that collectively represent about 139 million square feet of space. That's 95% of everything in the central business district. So every class A building, every nearly all of the B buildings uh, are members of ours as well. Uh, there are 170 vendors and professionals that service those buildings uh, in the membership as well. On a day-to-day -day basis, our work is really done for the owners and managers of those buildings and companies, and I know that includes uh, a lot of you here in the room. Uh, we are the largest of 93 uh, domestic and 12 international uh, associations. They're loosely affiliated with Bowman International. We send a little bit of dues money to the mothership, and they do some federal lobbying and, and some research for us there. Uh, we do have an active educational and networking program uh, with a lot of initiatives throughout the year, but today we're really going to focus on our advocacy work and uh, in, in a few areas that are really going to impact all of us, particularly now that we're past the elections. Um, people sometimes ask me how we set the advocacy agenda for the organization, and it's really pretty simple. I look at line items of operating expense uh, for a building like uh, this one or others, uh, downtown office buildings in particular. And number one on that hit parade is real estate property taxes. Uh, number two is a sort of a tie between labor costs and energy costs. Uh, so we have very active uh, advocacy agendas and initiatives in both of those areas as well. Um, and we're going to focus on some of that here today. Uh, here with me are uh, three of the key people who are responsible for that advocacy work. You have their full bios and your materials there. I'm not going to go through all of that, but I just want to explain to you what their roles are with us. Uh, Steve Morrill, uh, in the middle here, put your hand up there, Steve, thanks, is president of Morrill & Associates. He's been our lobbyist in Springfield for nearly, and in Cook County for nearly 20 years. Uh, he's got an extraordinarily rich and varied background as a lawyer, a lobbyist, and a government official. He is our go-to guy for everything we do in Springfield and a vital member of our advocacy team. Uh, Mike Munson, on the end there, uh, principal of Metropolitan Energy, has been our energy consultant and lawyer since prior to the deregulation of the Illinois electricity markets in 1999. He's represented us in many matters before the Illinois Commerce Commission, where we've intervened to protect the interests of our industry. He is also the architect of our Smart Grid initiative and one of the most creative and forward-thinking folks that I know in that space. Uh, finally, Ron Tabachinsky uh, is our Director of Government Affairs. In addition to his years on the Bowman Chicago staff, Ron served as an assessment official and an elected state representative from Indiana. Sometimes we try to forgive him for those. Um, he's our official herder of the cats and directs all of our advocacy efforts. Uh, today we're going to uh, talk with you about three important issues, taxes, uh, pension reform, and electricity. 
We're going to approach those topics in a conversational manner, and we encourage you to submit your questions as they arise. I know you have a kind of nifty uh, piece of software that I'm interested to see work. Um, and first, I want to set this up for you a little bit. Uh, at my age, uh, a lot of pop culture terms sometimes go right over my head, but sometimes one of them resonates. And I have an 18-year-old nephew who used the phrase hot mess recently um, in describing a woman of his acquaintance who was undeniably attractive but had some major issues. Um, it made me wonder if maybe Chicago and Illinois are a little bit of a hot mess. Um, we're certainly an attractive and welcoming place uh, for business, and uh, we want to build that. Uh, but we have some serious issues as well. And, uh, you know, it's hard to pick up the newspapers today without reading about pension reform issues and, and the financial situation with the state and the city. Um, elections are over now, and I think everybody's aware that now we're going to maybe see some things moving people that were perhaps reluctant to propose some solutions before their elections are now ensconced and uh, might feel a little bit more freedom uh, to explore some of those things. So uh, let's begin the discussion today by talking about the issues of pensions here in the city. Um, Ron, can you paint a picture of that for us and uh, give us a little bit of background about the scope of the problem? It, it puts the mess in, into the hot mess. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things I, I point out is I don't even know if there's agreement on, on how big of a mess it is. Um, the city's official tally on the uh, four municipal pensions, which are the municipal workers, police, fire, and laborers, uh, is 19.4 billion. Uh, Moody's claim that uh, uh, that's using an 8% return on investment is rather optimistic, and they pegged the number more uh, at around $36 billion. Uh, the city says it's 35% funded. Moody says it's 23% funded. Uh, and and the, that's not really counting the uh, $590 million payment that is a result of already passed uh, legislation is going to be due this year. Um, beyond that, we've got uh, something similar with the uh, Chicago public schools. Uh, uh, public schools are saying it's, uh, they've got an unfunded liability of about $6.8 billion. Moody's pegs that at $11.1 billion. Uh, CPS says it's 60% funded, and Moody's says it's 48% funded. Uh, we also have a uh, portion of uh, what Chicago pays for the uh, prorated share of the Cook County pension debt. Uh, that's good, fairly good news. That's only $3 billion, according to the official uh, estimate. Moody's says it's 6.6 it's, uh, $6 billion and only 39% funded compared to the 58% uh, that uh, the county is, is saying that it is. So pretty soon it's real money. It's, it's real money. Um, the, the real money this year is that $590 million. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, shortly. Um, but people ask me, well, how much money do we need to come up with right now? Let's put that $590 uh, aside just for a moment. And when we look at those unfunded liabilities that I talked about, um, what's really driving it, I think, is as far as a, a, a time limit, it's, it's really what's happening to the city's credit rating. Uh, I think, you know, Moody's has not been a friend to the city, uh, but that's, uh, their numbers and their stats are, are what we have to deal with. And if, if some of these pensions aren't addressed right now, if the trajectory of this debt doesn't change now, some of these funds go insolvent as early as 2023. Um, one uh, one uh, analysis I was reading said that if that's allowed to happen, uh, the municipal pension alone, which is one of the smaller ones, would need a single payment of $900 million in that year. 
Um, considering that uh, right now the city of Chicago only collects 800 and some million in, in, in property taxes, uh, you can kind of uh, gauge the impact. So Chicago has taken some steps to kind of chip away at things to um, maybe stop kicking the can down the road and I think uh, realizing that that something finally has to be done. Uh, it can't be put off anymore. As Michael said, the elections are over. Uh, there's kind of a, a clear uh, road ahead, uh, at least as far as having to deal with this. Uh, there's some activity uh, in Springfield. There's pending legislation. Uh, there's also a few fixes that uh, have been proposed that, that have winded up in, in court. Um, and actually, I think that's maybe where I could uh, kind of defer to Steve to maybe give us a, a bit of a, bra a background on where that that is legally and maybe some of the things legislatively that are happening? Well, <clears throat> sure. I want to say thanks for having me. Today is a session day in Springfield. I live in the northern suburbs, and it's always a bonus when I don't have to be in Springfield. So you let me come home a day early. Um, we have, a, and, and before I get into the pensions, um, we have a team of seven folks that represent uh, BOMA. Uh, among them are the, we, you know, we have histories with all four legislative caucuses in the executive branch. We have former directors of a number of state agencies, central management services, transportation, agriculture, uh, former budget director of the state. One of our um, team is the former deputy majority leader of the Illinois House, another an assistant majority leader of the Illinois House. I was chief counsel for the Senate. And in all those years that we've been representing BOMA, Michael will remind us from time to time that it's really you folks in this room that are the focus of our efforts to make uh, those who occupy our BOMA buildings uh, a more affordable and business-friendly environment. And, and our big focuses in Springfield are uh, energy and property taxes because those are areas that are really uh, the rules of the road, the rules of the game, are established by state law. With respect to pensions, uh, all of our local pension funds and our state funds are governed both on the benefit and the contribution structure by statutes. So what, what you know, Chicago is not the master of its own destiny in terms of the benefits uh, structures that are paid to its workers. So there's been a lot going on with pensions. Pensions is by far the biggest driver of the economic challenges facing the state and all of our local governments. In 2013, we enacted reforms of the state pension systems, all but the judges system. Uh, and when I say reforms, we're talking about uh, extending retirement age, cutting and capping benefits, reducing the cost of living allowance, uh, increasing employee contributions. So right now, those 2013 reforms are pending before the Illinois Supreme Court. Oral arguments were last month. We could get a ruling any day. Um, the question is whether uh, those reforms violate the Illinois constitutional uh, provision that treats pension benefits in, in the same uh, level of protection as contracts, which the benefits uh, cannot be uh, diminished. Um, there's reason to believe the Illinois Supreme Court is going to throw this law out as unconstitutional. Last year, uh, in a very, uh, in an analogous but much easier case, the Illinois Supreme Court invalidated a state law that reduced retiree health insurance coverage. This is not a pension benefit, it's an adjunct 
to pension uh, benefits. But the court believe, uh, reasoned that this was in the nature of a pension benefit and therefore could not be diminished. So we're all waiting for the hammer to fall. Uh, so number one, in Springfield, we're waiting uh, for this decision. We hope, Springfield hopes, you as citizens hope that the court provides guidance as to what is the roadmap to constitutionally reform uh, pensions. The city of Chicago also had its systems um, subject to a separate pension reform law in 2013. Now, in the city's case, the mayor, uh, the city, and the uh, unions, the affected unions, cut a deal. There was no challenge of the validity of those pension reforms. But if the Illinois Supreme Court throws out the state reforms, inevitably there will be challenges there, and we'll start from scratch with both the state and local plans. Um, at the state level, we're talking about $111 billion unfunded liability, the highest of any state in the nation. It now consumes 25%, our pension contributions, 25% of the annual state budget. Uh, three things that are on the horizon. Speaker Madigan has been advocating lately a shift for the teacher's retirement system, a shift away from that being a state responsibility to a local school district responsibility funded by property taxes. So that's out there as a proposal. Two, uh, Governor Rauner has talked about creating a tier two, a separate tier two pension plan where current employees would get their accrued benefits under the existing plan, but going forward subject to a lower plan. Again, we're waiting for Supreme Court guidance in that regard. He also wants to provide an optional buyout so that employees, state employees, can go to a 401-style defined contribution plan. And then finally, uh, the governor has been talking about uh, enacting legislation to allow for local governmental bankruptcy. Under the federal bankruptcy code, there is permissive authority for states to opt in to bankruptcy to restructure debt. And this is part of uh, the governor's plans. So right now, we're in a pregnant pause, waiting for the Illinois Supreme Court. And when that ruling comes, we have six weeks left in session that'll markedly change the dynamics in Springfield on this important issue. A uh, question down there? actually reducing the obligation that we're all still going to have to carry. If it's pushed off to the municipalities, then we're all going to have to still be worrying about that, and those budgets <coughs> are going to be affected. So, I mean, are any of these clear solutions that are actually going to get us out of this mess? Well, <clears throat> there's two solutions. One is, uh, over time, being disciplined about making the employer contributions. The second one is to the maximum degree allowable, and the Supreme Court will give clues in this regard, we hope, to uh, trim back something we obviously can't afford. So it will mean reducing benefit structures and enhancing contribution levels. That's, that's the math. So um, this is, uh, you're, you're, you're correct that, that the uh, putting the TRS 
obligation onto local governments is just shifting who's responsible. Uh, but uh, there are efforts being made, and they're actuarially very significant to reduce, you know, the cost of this liability. You know, it, it, to some extent, we're talking about rearranging the chair, deck chairs on the Titanic, unless the Supreme Court gives us the latitude to, to make some of these adjustments. You know, you're absolutely right. It's just like, is he going to pay more than you now because the burden shifted? But the amount is the amount, you know, unless we can trim back on the cost of it or, as Steve said, address our obligations more currently so it doesn't get out of hand like it did. But there's just this massive liability that has to be dealt with. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be an easy fix. It's going to be a lot of pain. Last year, uh, Mayor Emanuel uh, passed a proposal, or got a proposal adopted that would have increased property taxes in order to address the funding issue in, for two of the municipal employee unions. And, and BOMA, as well as the other business groups in town, reluctantly, painfully supported that proposal uh, because we felt like, you know, it had to be done. And we knew that it would come at the, at the burden of uh, higher property taxes. Uh, we wound up not experiencing that because he got an increase in the 911 tax that gave him the same dollar amount, so he kicked the can down the road once again uh, on that element of it. But uh, I don't know, you know, what are we going to see this year, Ron, from, from the city in particular? Uh, I think if I were the, the city's uh, chief lobbyist and, and the mayor sent me uh, to Springfield with uh, a list, uh, there, there'd be two lists. Uh, one would be the short list of, of legislative priorities. The other one would be the shorter list uh, of legislative priorities. And the point that you just brought up, Michael, on the uh, uh, 911 tax and telecommunications tax, I think is, is on that shorter list. Uh, the, the mayor's uh, proposal last year to use uh, a $50 million annual increase in, in property taxes was to address the uh, municipal workers' uh, pension. So they started working on, on that one. Um, even though the business group supported it, I, I don't think it was possible to get it through the city council. And, and the uh, decision was made then to use the 911 tax. That tax expires in, uh, in June. Uh, so one of the, the priorities has got to be to renew that, uh, that tax. Uh, that at least starts addressing the, the municipal uh, employees' pension. Not, not police, not fire, not laborers, but at least the uh, municipal. Um, the other thing that I think has to be on uh, the city's uh, shorter list of legislative uh, priorities is to redress the $590 million pay, uh, dollar, uh, payment to police fire that's due this year. That legislation has already passed. It's on the books. It's coming due this year. Uh, mayor is looking to uh, add some time there, as well as, as some reform. Uh, the, uh, the $590 million has, has been referred to almost as a gift. Uh, th there was no reform tied to it. There was nothing tied to it. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, if the legislature at least doesn't bend on this or, or come up with some uh, extension of time that I think the, the, one of the limited options for the city uh, is to go ahead and raise property taxes. Uh, now, in order to cover that $590 million, if there's no uh, budget cuts to go along with it, uh, we're looking at, at about a 71% increase in the Chicago portion of property taxes to take care of that $590 million payment, which is due this year. Um, the city would, would have to raise property taxes, bond against the future revenue because those taxes wouldn't be collected until next year. So uh, that would have to also be one of the uh, city's kind of legislative priorities. 
some of the other things I heard Steve mentioning, uh, some of Governor Rauner's uh, proposals. Uh, I think the city has a, a big interest in the expansion of the sales tax to uh, services. Uh, Chicago, I think, would be a big winner uh, if that were done. Uh, being a, a uh, point of sale type uh, community where uh, what, what is taxed is where, where it occurs, you know, being home to such uh, financial transactions, legal uh, transactions, real estate transactions, uh, an array of services that uh, uh, I would think uh, expansion of the sales tax, uh, expansion of the service, sales tax of services would also be a, a high priority uh, for the city. Uh, and then as long as we're talking about it, I would say uh, there's got to be some hope that, uh, or some hope among the city that, you know, maybe casinos are going to uh, come into this somehow. Whether that's realistic or not, I think uh, it, it's got to be on the city's wish list. Question Well, zero right now because there is no law that authorizes it uh, today. But long view, <clears throat> we, well, we've had uh, individual municipalities in Illinois. East St. Louis comes to mind. They actually had a lien placed on their city hall. Uh, so we've had local governments that clearly would be in that frame. Um, I'm an optimist, so I, I would give it long odds. But um, it, it might be prudent to have it in the tool chest. And it might, being in the tool chest, cause labor in collective bargaining negotiations to maybe approach things with a longer-term view, and elected officials to look beyond the horizon of the next election. Again, it'll be really interesting to see what's in the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of what was agreed to was agreed to by the unions who were the original parties to those doc to those agreements. And, you know, and still the claim is can't do it. You know, it was a deal you made. You have to stick with it. Um, so so yeah. just to amplify on a couple of things that Ron mentioned. So when Governor Rauner took office, his, um, on, on his inauguration day, our temporary income tax surcharge had expired. Our fiscal year is July 1 to June 30. So in the current fiscal year we were, were now in, six months, the first six months, we had the higher income tax rate. And now these second six months, we have the lower. For all of the fiscal year budget that Springfield now has to adopt, the FY 2016 budget, we will not have that state income tax surcharge. That is a $6 billion spending hole to fill. Now, one of the ways that the governor, in, the governor has an obligation constitutionally to present a budget to the legislature, he did so in February, and he proposed cutting by 50% the local municipalities' share of the state sales tax. For Chicago, that comes to $133 million. He also proposed cutting uh, aid, you know, state assistance to mass transit. For the CTA, that's about $100 million. The net effect of the cuts alone is substantial. We have this big um, bill that's coming due, the $500 million pension payment for police and fire. Um, so there's real, you know, state revenue pressures, spending pressures. Uh, so <clears throat> um, there's going to be a lot of belt, belt tightening that, that emanates from Springfield down through local governments. Um, and uh, 
the expansion of the sales tax is not yet a proposal in legislative form. The governor did mention this. He would like to see it used to finance a capital spending uh, program, roads, bridges, uh, mass transit, public universities, capital spending. Uh, but it may be something you see a lot of discussion about. Uh, the casino, one of the nice things about the casino, it's an ongoing revenue stream, but the upfront licensing fee is huge. And that's a big immediate uh, uh, boost. Um, so big spending pressures. And uh, a lot of folks are predicting that we will be in a very long overtime session because from the executive, a philosophy of cuts from the Democrat veto-proof majorities in the legislature, a philosophy of preserving human service spending, protecting you know, the city of Chicago's financial position, revenue enhancements. This is the conversation that you'll see play out in the next six weeks. And the Vegas odds, in my mind, are 50-50 uh, because I'm an optimist. I think we have a 50% chance of getting out on time which would mean a big deal quick. Otherwise, we'll be in a, an overtime session long enough so that state government feels pain. July 15, first, first uh, employee paychecks of the new fiscal year. So we're about to see uh, how all this plays out. I don't know. You know, uh, we hear that City Hall, in, in addition to looking at what's going on in Springfield, is looking under every rock here for revenue sources and evaluating all sorts of things. Uh, you know, sort of the, the thing that scares us as much, I think, as significant increases in the property tax burden is the possibility of a lease tax. That is something that was actually passed by the Chicago City Council many years ago, not that many, 10 years ago. And uh, BOMA and another organization uh, sued to stop it. and. Uh, the city council repealed it before it was implemented. But the people driving the bus today are smarter, and I think they know how to get around the objections that we had at the time. Uh, I think that that is, uh, you know, something else that's, that's going to rear its head, and it will be ugly. Um, how many lawyers and architects do we have in the room? <laughs> you guys are going to get hammered by a sales tax. Uh, you know, I mean, that just seems likely. Uh, lawyer, I'm a lawyer. You have three lawyers up here. We're not sympathetic, you know? If you have to decide between taxing legal fees from big law firms or big architectural firms or the bungalow belt, what are you going to do? You're an elected politician, you know? And uh, the, the revenue potential from things like a sales tax increase, a lease tax, other things like that. I, you know, I mean, it's a very complex balance of, of fiscal decisions and political decisions. And it's going to be a complicated uh, hodgepodge, I think, of measures. There's no one thing that you can put your finger on and say, that, we need to do that, and that'll fix it. Because none of those numbers are big enough. Uh, it, it's going to be an assembly of stuff. I know that sounds pretty dire and ugly, and it is. But uh, you know, it's uh, our reality after years of, of doing this. You all know how this came about. So. Um, Michael, one question from the audience. Is the potential 70% increase in real estate tax across both residential and commercial space? Well, it would be a 78% increase in the uh, Chicago portion, uh, which is, what do you but, think? Uh, yes. Of the total I mean, bill. It would, it would mean that uh, the city of Chicago 
would have to levy twice as many tax, uh, almost almost double tax, 70% more than they currently uh, do with uh, property tax that would be residential uh, as, as well as commercial. Now there's there's always ways to kind of you know shift the burden within that uh, exemptions and, and that, but uh, uh, both residential and, and uh, commercial would feel it. I think if they did something like that, you might see some enhancement of the homeowner exemption or seniors exemption to minimize pain for you know more vulnerable parts of the electorate. So you all know that we have property tax caps in Illinois. It limits the local government from levying uh, more than five, the lesser of 5% of the rate of inflation as opposed to the previous year. But there's an exception for required pension uh, contributions. And this is how you can have such a dramatic increase, even in the face of property tax caps. What is probably more likely than not is that Springfield will give Chicago a break. They will say that this actuarially formula-derived <coughs> contribution level is postponed, that there'll be a more gradual ramp-up to that level of payment. Um, and in the, uh, the sausage-making, that is, the legislative process, uh, that kind of give-and-take, uh, Governor Rauner may say to the two Democrat leaders, Speaker Madigan, President Cullerton, who come from Chicago, if I help out your city, maybe you can do something for workers' compensation reform, unemployment insurance reform. That's the sausage making, and that's what I'm telling you, uh, it's going to be uh, playing out on the front page of the paper in the, in the next uh, number of weeks as we hit the end of session. Okay, so get ready. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, wait till we get to the next one. Uh, so we're going to change gears here for a minute. Unless there's questions that we want to take now on the tax topics, uh, we're going to move on to the... Yes, ma'am. Well, that's, you know, a really good point, and you're seeing it across all of these things. I mean, it's a, first of all, let me say that, you know, our mission as an organization, uh, as much as anything, is to be sure that Chicago is as competitive, as attractive a place for business and tenants uh, as, as possible, and the property tax situation is not good for that. You know, so far, we've had enough other things that going for us as a city, as a state, to prevent us from falling into that hot mess category, you know? But uh, we need to get busy with the airport again, you know? That's been maybe a little bit neglected uh, since uh, Indolino left, but, you know, we, we need to get back with that. That's a huge draw for businesses here, as I'm sure most of you know. Uh, we have a good trained workforce here. People like that, you know? Uh, they come here because there's a vibrant, 
educational community and the workers that they need, particularly in some new emerging businesses are here. Uh, you know, we're happy to see that and to foster that. Um, that has its own ramifications for the use of office space and how those costs are allocated. So, you know, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the concept of densification that we're seeing in, you know, in the office community now. It's uh, jamming more and more people into a smaller and smaller amount of square footage. Uh, a lot of reasons for that, not all of them economic. But um, uh, all of that, I think, goes to, you know, what's our position as a competitive location for this stuff? And, and that's the most important thing, and that's the biggest danger, in my opinion, because this problem is so massive. Um, you need to have an awful lot else going for you to get people over that, you know. And so far, it's been working, you know. But I think all the publicity and the worsening of that situation is making people think about it, you know. And I hate to be the guy, you know. I don't work for Choose Chicago. I'm concerned about what the image is and, and how attractive we remain. Uh, but. Uh, it's going to involve pain, and it's going to be widespread pain, and it's just a question of how bad is that going to be and how fairly will it be spread. Honestly, we have to dig out of it somehow or, or begin that process. It's not going to get dug out in a year. You know, It's going to be a years-long process. Now, the only saving grace is there are a lot of other cities and municipalities in similar boats. So when you talk about reform of, of uh, some of the uh, police and fire pension funds, for example, um, you know, there are other municipalities in the state that have that issue, and I think that Mayor Emanuel is hoping, working, that toward uh, maybe some statewide resolution of that so that the city doesn't have to deal with that all on our own. I don't know whether that's realistic, but uh, that's, you know, certainly an effort underway. Um, One more <clears throat> uh, pension question from the audience. Why are other states' uh, pension systems operating fine, and what are we not doing? Historically, we have not contributed the actuarially uh, required amounts as a discipline over time. The pension uh, contribution was the rounding error to make budgets work at the end of a legislative session. So that's number one. Number two, uh, relatively speaking, I believe we do have, um, certainly some of our systems have, uh, relatively more generous um, pension benefits. So the combination over many, many years, uh, it, it, uh, it's gotten to such a critical uh, point now that we have the lowest uh, debt rating in America as a state, and all the rating agencies in their downgrades or their warnings point to our unfunded pension liability. So. Okay. Is there a question back there? No? Okay. You know, you read different studies about where we rank, and it sort of depends on how you measure it and whose data you're using. But I think, uh, you know, we think of ourselves as, as, if not the highest in terms of property tax burden, you know, in the top two or three. Um, if you measure it as the dollar amount per square foot, you know, maybe we're 10 on that list. You know, there are lots of other markets that, that where, where the burden is more as a dollar amount per foot. But if you measure it as a percentage of gross rent, we're number one, you know? 
Uh, there's some submarkets in New York that are worse, but you know, as a percentage of rent, it's awful. It really is. And uh, you know, part of that is, in my opinion, due to the classification system of assessment that we use here. Uh, other jurisdictions, cities, states have looked at that and have rejected it. But uh, Cook County is the only county in Illinois that uses that methodology. So if you're not familiar, I won't go into the detail, but essentially the rate at which a single family home is assessed in Chicago is much lower than the rate at which a piece of commercial property is assessed. The same tax burden is applied to both of those assessed values, but uh, in fact, we have a constitutional limitation on how much variation there can be. But that's how property taxes for single family homeowners like me who live in the city, whose properties in the city, are kept artificially low and that burden borne by commercial property and passed on to the tenants in those buildings. Residential properties are uh, assessed on 10% of their market value. Commercial properties are assessed at 25% of their market value. So right from the beginning in the assessment process, there's a two and a half times bias uh, to move the burden onto commercial properties. And that's never going to change. You know, imagine yourself as a politician who's asked to increase the burden on residential taxpayers in order to equalize that. Ain't going to happen, ever. Once you start that, it's just politically unrealistic to think that that will change. So that's part of the problem, you know. And commercial, you know, owners get blasted in the press all the time for engaging, uh, you know, there are five guys that you can hire in Chicago to deal with your property taxes or your assessment. And, uh, you know, you're trying to explain that to, to a buyer, an investor from out of town, you know, how the tax system works here. And this is a simple explanation. There's five guys you should hire. Pick one. And, and they'll take care of it for you, but don't try and explain the process to them because it's not the way Sister Mary Agnes taught high school civics. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Mike, I'm just one other question. Uh, you had mentioned that Chicago is not the only one in municipality that has these uh, issues. Can you kind of break Chicago uh, as compared to other major cities or I don't know. I, I, it'd be tough. Maybe one of these guys could, could do that. I mean, you know, we're, we've been so highly publicized. You know, you, you saw this thing recently with the legislation that was passed in Indiana um, uh, uh, recently and the hubbub around that and the mayor very quickly taking the offense of saying, come to Chicago, we're a more welcoming place for that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's getting back at them for their uh, you know, their campaign to try and draw business from Chicago to Indiana. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, there was a new study that was just in the press today or yesterday from a group called The Wallet uh, that was sort of ranking uh, U.S. Uh, cities and states in terms of the, the relative property, or not just property, all tax burdens on consumers, though. And, and Illinois was the worst, bottom of the pile. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I guess it sort of, you know, it depends on what you're looking at, too. If you're worrying about taxing retirement income, you know, Florida has a different situation than we have. We don't have a vehicle tax as a lot of other states do. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how I would compare us to other places. But some other places have tried to deal with it, you know. The obvious Detroit, okay. So if any of you have been in downtown Detroit, <laughs> there's some stuff beginning to happen there again, you know. Uh, uh, the guy from uh, uh, Quicken, 
uh, has been doing a lot of investment and driving some things happening down there and some interesting techniques being used to fund those things and finance that. So it can be, you know, work, but we're nibbling around the edges here until we get our arms around the big problem. It's pretty ugly. Um, well, listen, I, I want to move us on to the next topic, which is uh, electricity. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, electricity energy costs are, are probably number two on the hit parade of operating expenses for these buildings. Uh, for the most part, those costs at the building level are passed through to the tenants. We're certainly interested in keeping those pass-throughs as low as possible. It increases our asset values. It makes our buildings more attractive to you, the tenants. Uh, a lot of reasons to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's not really in the wheelhouse of your typical property manager. Uh, electricity and the regulation of electricity, the purchase and utilization of all kinds of energy is becoming a little more complex. Um, you know, uh, Mike Munson represented us during the DREG uh, law in 1999, and, and we've been battling over a variety of issues there ever since. Mm -hmm. um, Today, we have three significant pieces of legislation that have been proposed that will uh, have some impact. And I'm going to ask Steve maybe to talk a little bit about yeah what those things are. So uh, three big bills pending in Springfield, a universal expectation that there will be a negotiated single bill at the end of the day, uh, and no negotiation process yet started. I don't anticipate any of these bills moving this spring session, so this will be for the balance of this calendar year and probably really addressed in 2016. But just to put it in context, we have, you know, relatively high taxes. We have relatively high workers' compensation uh, and unemployment insurance costs. We are blessed by having relatively low electricity costs. That is a benefit, objectively, to the business climate in Illinois. And these bills will challenge that uh, in various ways by adding new costs. So we care greatly about this. Bill number one, uh, the Exelon nuclear bailout bill. Um, ComEd claims that three of its six nuclear I'm sorry, Exelon claims that three of its six nuclear power plants are operating at a deficit, even though the fleet in its entirety is very profitable. Uh, they have proposed something called a low carbon portfolio standard as a way to impose new costs to ratepayers to reward the nuclear fleet for their carbon neutral footprint. Um, the, bills are, uh, the bill is described as being technology neutral, wind, solar, hydro, clean coal, and nuclear, but it goes through and ex its exceptions uh, remove the benefit from anything but nuclear. Uh, this would be an average increase of a, of a bill of about 8.5%, but residential consumers would be capped at 2, meaning that the business users, the commercial <laughs> industrial customers, would see um, fifteen percent sort of uh, increases. Um, now, uh, I'm going to leave it to Mike to talk about why that may or may not be justified. Next bill, the, there's a group of environmentalists that have put forth uh, the Green Jobs Coalition bill. Uh, it provides resources and rewards for energy efficiency. This is to reduce demand 
um, uh, and a demand reduction. Uh, their goal is a 20% reduction by the year 2025. Also, uh, it uh, extends and increases our renewable energy uh, goals, wind and solar, um, with, uh, you know, ratepayer assessments to help finance uh, that increased uh, uh, renewable energy. Uh, and then finally, Commonwealth Edison has basically its version of renewables and energy efficiency on ComEd's terms so that they can monetize these things. For their bill, um, energy efficiency would not be demand-side reduction as much as what they call voltage optimization in the transmission system. So as the electricity goes from the transmission to the distribution system, there is a reduction of voltage loss of power. Uh, they want to be able to invest money to reduce that and get financially rewarded uh, at ComEd for that, rather than reduce the speed of the meters running for customers. Uh, also, it allows ComEd to get into generation itself. Uh, ComEd and Exelon split in, in the DREG, so Exelon has the generation assets. ComEd is the transmission distribution system. Well, now ComEd would, would get back into generation in a limited way with solar, community solar, and what they call microgrid development. Uh, ComEd also is suggesting uh, that it be able to finance 5,000 electric vehicle um, charging stations throughout its service territory uh, as a revenue source. And uh, uh, there's a new rate structure proposed for residentials. It's kind of technical and people don't really understand quite yet how that might work. But if you imagine all these big issues being part of a larger negotiation, um, this audience has a lot at stake uh, in the outcome of that negotiation. And Mike is our substantive expert. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Mike to explain what all that means. Mike, we're running a little short on time, so I want to be sure you get your, your presentation in, and then we'll swing around and take a few questions from you before 1.30. Okay. Sure. Uh, just real quick, rate payers are uh, the way to fund things generally on a, on a socialized basis is either through taxes or through rate base. And uh, the Exelon bailout bill is for ComEd uh, estimated to be about two and a half bucks per megawatt hour. Uh, that's like uh, 0.25 of a cent, but that adds up. I estimate for the Boma Chicago membership, 250 buildings, 130 million square feet, that'll be about 55 million uh, of additional costs over the next five years for subsidizing a publicly traded company, which just a uh, little bit mind-blowing. How many um, times do we have to pay for those nukes anyway? We, we yeah, paid the, for them for twice already, haven't we? Yeah, kind of well, when uh, we deregulated, uh, that, that generally means that utilities used to be vertically integrated with distribution, transmission, generation. They split them up. Uh, and interesting now, it looks ComEd's bill is trying to put it back together. Uh, you know, I defy anybody to tell me how much Exelon paid for those nukes. Those were funded by ratepayers, uh, but Exelon Generation owns them. 
And now the market's been low. I looked today at 10 o'clock this morning, it was about 30 bucks a megawatt hour. Last night, it was uh, about $20. Uh, interestingly, in our region here, price went down negative uh, yesterday at about 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, which ComEd makes its, or Exelon makes its money during the peak hours and then loses money off peak. And the market's been at a lull because we have a glut of generation with the economy down. And now they're looking for bailouts despite um, record profits. So they're all, make no mistake, every single bill is, is uh, everybody wants clean energy, clean uh, uh, supply, but guess who gets to pay for it? Especially with residentials capped, uh, commercial buildings aren't capped, and I think the estimates of 55 million is is very low. That'll that could double, 10, 20 percent increase in bills over time. Um, we'll soon be, you know, with the rest of the country instead of in a low cost area. Well, where do you think that's going to wind up? I mean, from the your standpoints, uh, the two of you. I mean, you know, we we you were hearing that the speaker wants to see some negotiated yeah, outcome. Negotiation, yeah. So. Um, com or Exelon's nuclear problems are actually kind of largely resolving themselves to the market on its own. Uh, uh, the way these plants work, they bid into a transmission operating system in advance for base load, uh, uh, you know, electricity uh, to maintain reliability, and those auctions result in prices and you can monetize it. Uh, just the day before yesterday, the Clinton plant, the one in MISO, uh, realized a $52 million uh, net gain from last year based on the MISO auction. The, um, that's the transmission operator in it has Southern Illinois and other states. The other five com uh, Exelon plants are in the PJM transmission system and uh, those auctions are taking place this summer under new rules uh, that PJM um, it, it just uh, crafted in this calendar year called capacity performance rules that were designed specifically to benefit nuclear. During the polar vortex, coal plants, natural, natural gas plants, uh, they went offline because pipes froze or coal uh, coal mounds were just rock solid hard and they couldn't make the plants work, but nuclear kept working. So the PJM um, uh, system operators have tweaked the rules and the net effect is that Exelon will experience for the other five plants about a four to six hundred million dollar additional revenue every year going forward. So bottom line, taking that's taking care of itself. Um, you know, uh, the sausage making is tough. Uh, when you get to a negotiation uh, table, it's about getting 60 votes. That's a majority in the House, 30 votes in the Senate. The environmentalists have uh, allies. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, ComEd Exelon has invested heavily over generations in the political process. Uh, the folks that tend not to have as powerful a voice are the ratepayers because you're just not as organized. So the long story short is uh, it'll take a while to play out. 
uh, and you know, we'll certainly be vocal on behalf of the interests of commercial real estate, uh, but uh, it's, it's very much now a you know, kind of set-aside issue as we focus in on our budget problem. Questions on uh, that part of it? Yes, sir. Electricity rates? Bottom 20? Yeah, that's increasing over time, and I encourage, you know, architects and such out in the group here. Um, it used to be a benefit to build buildings with electric heat, but that's long gone. Uh, natural gas for heating. Uh, we're a winter peaking area, meaning, you know, there's there's a lot of electric space heat in the region. I encourage a little bit of look at natural gas and to the extent you could arbitrage electric and natural gas. Uh, but we're pretty low here. ComEd used to offer a special discounted rate for electric heat. You know, that's gone. We litigated that issue. Mike did that work for us. We lost twice. Um, we're going to beat him on that one. But, uh, you know, the other thing that we try and monitor, too, is, you know, ComEd charges you if you have uh, extra equipment that they feel you don't need, given the load that your building is experiencing. With uh, architects and, and people generally just reducing the amount of their electricity demand, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, the, the, that demand is reducing, but now ComEd is coming back to people and saying, we're going to charge you for, uh, in effect, a penalty for being over-equipped for a load that you don't need anymore. You know, really? Who, who's driving that agenda? Yeah, yeah so you look at your line items on your bill and you, they're adding a lot. You're paying 2% or more to fund an energy efficiency program for residentials and ComEd substations. Uh, some for commercial buildings, but probably not to the level of what each building is funding. Uh, surcharge upon surcharge adds up after a while. And, you know, that's, that's on the supply side, getting a little bit of pressure from the demand side, too. Uh, you know, reduce energy. Somebody in the audience said, worried about flight. I, uh, I look at it a bit different representing, uh, you know, the market and commercial office buildings. I, uh, I think we should increase use, increase carbon in downtown because that means more people, more businesses, more activity, uh, increase usage instead of they're looking at uh, the new, the clean jobs is reducing, adding another 15% by 2035 of use in the area. And that's, uh, you know, we need electricity. Every single industry uses it. Um, you know, it's been demonized using electricity. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. We need to grow and, and uh, buildings are, are among the efficiency. Ron, you, you know, we looked at the benchmarking study of the city of Chicago and as a, as a group, downtown Chicago office buildings would qualify uh, EP Energy Star certification as a group and yet, you know, being pushed for more, more efficiency uh, Got to have to come in the area of controls and automation, in my opinion, but that's currently not being funded uh, with energy efficiency measures. Uh, you know, I think we're reaching the end of our time. Did you, is there anything else we need to? Is there anything else from the audience? No. No. Let's give our speakers Great. a round of applause. Right. And we'll see you May 21st.